Storm Bowling Products. The Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is J.R. Raymond. J.R. Bowl collegiately at Saginaw Valley State University and McKendry University. He is currently the Midwest Regional Sales Manager for Turbo Bowling Accessories. And J.R. and his wife, Alicia, recently also just had a baby. So we actually chatted with J.R. before the birth of his baby boy. So, J.R., with all that said, thank you for joining us on the Above180.com podcast. Sure, no problem. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, JR, I thought we'd bring you on for a couple different reasons. Got some big stuff going on at Turbo coming up right before Junior Gold. But first, let's talk about your time bowling collegiately. You bowled at Saginaw Valley State and then also at McKendree University. So let's talk about your time and really what you remember most and about bowling at both those colleges and part of those programs. Yeah, I, uh, one of the stories I always tell is is how I actually got into college bowling. Um which I'll, I'll give you the short version. Basically, uh, everybody probably knows Dan Dorian from back when he was coaching at Saginaw Valley. Uh, Dan actually passed away just a few years ago, but before uh, I even met him, I decided that that was one of the places that I wanted to go bowl um, because they were winning. That was where Bill O'Neill was and uh, the Pirashads and, and a lot of those guys. And uh, so I figured, let's go and figure out if I'm any good at this game. So I went down for a tryout when I was about 17 years old. So there was like a coon's age ago, about 50 years ago now. And uh, he uh, he tore me apart. He had this little bowling center he worked at. It was actually inside of a church called Zion Lanes. Um, and it had six or eight lanes inside there. And we all got our own key um, once, we, once we were in school there, of course. But uh, there were six or eight lanes there, all wood. They had the above-ground ball returns there. So it was really cool. It was all the classic thing. Uh, so it wasn't something I was used to. So I uh, went down there with a buddy of mine for a tryout, and he picked me apart. He pretty much told me how terrible I was, and he, uh, in his words, said, you stink, you will never make my C team, let alone my B team. Um, and this was at the time when Bill O'Neill was there. Of course, being 17 years old, and this is something I thought I was pretty good at, I was kind of crushed. Uh, I basically cried all the way home. Um, but then I actually I took that as a, a kick in the butt, more or less. Some people can take it, and some people would actually take that and quit. And I actually took that, and I moved forward, and I I worked hard. I I went back to my home house and got some coaching, and um, for the next three, four years, I bowled everything I possibly could, and I worked on everything I possibly could to get better. Um, So three or four years down the road, when I turned 21, I ran into Dorian and some of his guys, and then he actually called me up and said, hey, you've been winning everything in Michigan. Why don't you come back to school? And everything I, everything in me wanted to basically tell him to take a hike. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. Um, I, I actually did go to Saginaw Valley, and I and we ended up winning national championship that first year. And I actually owe my entire career as a bowler to college bowling. High school bowling, I mean, it's nothing like college bowling. College bowling is, it was the time of my life, uh, and, and it's still something that I, every time I hear the kids talk about it, and even when I go visit colleges and help with coaching and stuff around the country, they, you know, it, it's something I miss, you know, and it's just because there was the camaraderie. It was just being in a team atmosphere 
it's just a whole different ball game and it's so much more fun than any other type of bowling you can imagine you know and that's why you see like the pba league gaining so much exposure and and doing so well because it's something different it's something it's so much better than just individual bowling you know so so college bowling is something that everybody if you have the opportunity to do it all kids need to try and go and do it i mean it's just so much fun that was that was a cool story about your time there uh, at Saginaw. So tell us who did you who did you bowl with, and then are, are there any like say long lasting kind of friendships you've been able to you know create and keep since then? Yeah, I mean uh, I I went to school on our team for the national championship team. It was me, uh, Dan McClellan. Everybody knows Dan. Mm. Um, Toby Seidel, he was a senior that year or junior or senior, one mm-hmm. of the two. Um, we had George Jessick was our bench boy, our lefty. <laughs> he got to throw the fill ball on the second second game, which was cool. Uh, we had Jason Howard, Mike Snow, and um, Nathan Block up there, and then Greg Kennel. So not a lot of big names that a lot of people know, but those guys, a lot of those guys still bowl in Michigan and a lot of the local tournaments and stuff, and, and every one of them win just about every time they bowl, so... Um, but yeah, I'm still in contact with guys like Dan, Dan is still on turbo staff. So he comes down to turbo every once in a while, see him at some of the national stops when he does go. Um, you still talk to a lot of the guys through Facebook and everything. Um, Jason moved over to Baltimore and took over a bowling center. So he, uh, I don't get to see him as much very often, but you know, a lot of the other guys are still in the area. So I do get to stay connected with a lot of those guys and, and, uh, you know, some of them still come to me for questions when it comes to bowling balls and stuff like that. So it's kind of nice to keep those relationships alive. Well, you mentioned, too, you know, as far as, like, say, Dan McClellan, the big name, you know, as well as yourself. But, you know, a lot of times in team bowling, it's not necessarily having uh, big names, especially when you're looking at maybe you get two frames a game when you're doing a lot of breaker right. competition. And it's really more about kind of the chemistry and, you know, what kind of uh, – kind of maybe camaraderie you have in, in, in that respect. Huh? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we, we made sure, and, and even at McKendry, when I went to McKendry, we made sure to put time aside to where we all hung out as a team. Um, and that's kind of what I've just started to do a few clinics. Uh, I had uh, the University of Wisconsin out here for a camp, a day camp, and we spent a full day and worked on everything from class time to lane time. And then at the end of it, we actually did team bonding stuff, team building type games and, mm-hmm. and uh, made some suggestions of what they can do weekly with each other, you know, whether it be, you know, going out, having a good time, just hanging out or actually going and playing basketball or playing baseball, you know, some type of a sport uh, where there's a little bit more of, you know, just a team connection there and it helps and it goes a long way because you learn communication and communication is the biggest thing in collegiate bowling because you're right. You only get those few frames a game. Uh, so it's not like you have, you know, a half a game to figure out the lane. You can kind of make a comeback at the end. You have one shot and then you have to let your team know what's going on on the lanes and it's not the easiest thing to do. So um, that communication between you guys is, it's the biggest thing. So you don't need superstars on your team. You need guys that can talk. You need guys that can make quality shots and figure out what's going on with the lanes uh, and figure out how you can combat them against the other team. Yeah. So let's move on to, uh, to TurboTech, the collegiate expo that you're, uh, you're like you were saying, you were mentioning you're with Turbo right now and, um, and talk about that because I'm looking here, it's July 11th to the 13th. It's right before this is a great primer. This is for everyone heading to junior gold. This is right before junior gold. So going to mention if you're a high school child or parent listening to this, by all means, you guys need to head to this, uh, 
Turbo Tech Collegiate Expo. But just talk briefly or a little bit about that. I mean, looking at this thing, it's a it's a two day camp. But I mean, these are two jam packed full days with some huge coaching names, including yourself, Hank Boomershine, Ron Hatfield, just to name a few. But talk about what folks can expect in this uh, at this camp. Yeah, through these two days, it's it's one of the most amazing things I've been a part of. This is the closest thing to college bowling you'll ever see um, because you get to be around a group of kids and you get to learn the game with each other. And you get so many of the best coaches in the world in one spot. You know, So you get all kinds of lane time on different patterns. you got seminars both for the parents and uh, collegiate coaches so they can learn what, what goes on and for, for high school coaches as well out there this year. Um, you get a little bit of mental game with Dr. Dean Hennitz. He's one of the most popular, if not the most popular guy as far as bowling psychology goes. Um, he's got a couple different books out there. And you get all kinds of different seminars as far as lane play and bowling ball dynamics, all that kinds of stuff that goes on out there. So um, it, it's, it's really cool to be with all the professional coaches as well as professional bowlers that are there with you. Uh, to be able to go through and work on physical things, work on mental things, work on some of all the in-between things that that most of the time, you know, some of the high school coaches and and other coaches leading up to this don't necessarily know. Uh, So this kind of gives you a little bit of everything leading into junior gold. Now, not everybody that, you know, enters in the collegiate expo is actually bowling junior gold, but I will tell you the majority are. The majority are going out there for this to learn and try to get better for their chance at junior gold. And it's probably not a bad idea. I think right now we have uh, right around the 180 mark. Uh, we have 210 cap and we will fill, we fill every single year. So there's only about 30 spots left. So anybody that doesn't have their entry in, I would probably hurry up on that. Um, Cause you don't want to miss out on stuff like this. We get all kinds of new coaches every year. This year we added in Ryan Simonelli and we have uh, Liz Johnson coming in with a lot of the returners from last year. So it's kind of a big deal. It's a really cool thing for everybody to get to see. And they also get the ball demo the day before. I believe they're doing the product showcase again, um, where you get to see all the brand bowling balls out there. Everybody's out there. You get all the kids get to throw all the bowling balls and figure out what goes on with those. Um, and you get to ask all the, all the brand managers questions and figure out, you know, your arsenal and everything leading into junior gold. So there's just, there's too much to even talk about (laughs) in this little time. I wouldn't even be able to get through everything, but those are just some of the key things that I think are the the, the most important and, and the really cool things about junior or about collegiate expo. So where can, where can they go if they do want to sign up for that? Like you, you were just talking. I would actually just call, uh, you can you can go online and you can do it at, at www.turbogrips.com and just go over to the Collegiate Expo tab. All the information you need is on there, including the registration form. Um, and if you have any questions, just call up to the office. It's, uh, it's 586-598-3948, and that'll get you connected to anybody here. You probably want to talk to Megan. She's the one that actually takes care of all the registration and all that. Um, it is, uh, let me see, what's the price here? Early bird deadline is over. So I believe now it is three ninety nine is the price now for that. But that doesn't even, that covers your food. That covers everything throughout the day. Uh, it's a nice buffet meal they do in the middle of the day, you know, and with two days of, of full day on lane and, you know, class time, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever been a part of, but it's so much fun. I can great lineup, and it, you know it definitely looks like the plan is you know plan is in place for a fabulous thing. And you talked a little bit about 
you know, Dean Hennett's being there. How much, how much, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about mental game versus, you know, being a champion versus physical game and lane play strategy and that stuff. How much weight do you put into, say, learning about the mental game? Uh, to be honest, uh, the mental game is the most important thing in bowling by far. I've seen I've seen people who are far superior physically that just get ran over by people who are far superior mentally just because they know how to stay in it. Uh, they know how to, to never give up. They know how to make quality shots and not let quality, not let bad shots bother them from the past. And, you know, and it, it just goes on and on and how different the mental game can be effective as opposed to the physical game. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of key things you need to have to be successful at like the elite levels and everything. But it's, uh, it's, that's one of the things that I'm actually getting more into is coaching more of the mental game than anything. Uh, and the reason for it is because I've been so bad at it myself for the last three or four years. I've been one of the worst mental students probably ever. And then I started reading books. I read Dr. Dean's book. I read another book called, uh, um, what was that? Uh, Mind Gym. Um, and a lot of my teachings actually has a lot to do with what Dr. Dean teaches and what's taught in Mind Gym. And uh, it's all about um, visualization and understanding what you need to do, what you want to do before you even go do it. Because you can't do anything if you don't think or feel like you can go do it. You know, if you can't walk into something and and walk in with doubt and wonder if you can do it, because you'll never do it if, at that case. You actually have to know you can do it and feel like you can do it and see yourself doing it before you do it. So it's kind of a it's one of the things I really stress about in a lot of the clinics and the camps. I have a couple of camps coming up. Um, one is full. I, no, actually, I think I had one drop out today. Uh, this weekend on the 20 or next weekend on the 27th, I have a, a half day camp. It's like a six hour camp. It's $99. Um, and I only allow 10 students in it. And the reason I only allow 10 students is because I want everybody to get as much out of it as they possibly can. Um, I don't want to have, you know, a big group of people and then not be able to spend much time with each individual person. Um, but I want everybody to be in small groups to be able to ask questions. You know, it's not, if you're in a big group of 60 people, not a whole lot of people are going to raise their hand and start asking questions because they don't want to feel like they're going to be degraded or feel like they're dumb because they don't know something, you know, and, and usually in small groups, they'll actually ask questions. So it's nice to see. Um, but I do, I have one spot left open for that one on the 27th. And then I have five spots left on the third. And I originally was only going to do it on the 27th until I realized it was Memorial Day weekend. And I didn't think anybody would want to do anything on Memorial Day weekend. Um, and then that one's the one that filled up the fastest. So boy, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, mental game is one thing that I focus on the most. And because I'm so bad at it, and actually because I was so bad at it, it forced me to learn it even more than I ever have before. And it forced me to actually study it. And now that I've studied it and now that I'm teaching it, it's helping me learn from my students, you know, while I'm teaching them, you know, so, and it helped me a lot this past weekend. I won a regional this past weekend where I felt like I was, I was out of it going into match play the next day. And mentally I stayed in it and found a way to get to the top. So the kids that came, I gave them all the credit in the world. The Wisconsin team that came for my clinic uh, it was like the week before they helped me tremendously because me teaching them actually taught me and I was able to finally, you know, practice what I preach and it was nice and it's cool. So now I want to bring more people in here to help myself, not just them. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times it's funny. I recently had a conversation with a, a coach and we were talking about the mental game 
and it was you know the whole the the you know the thing that a lot of people struggle with is a negative self talk. And he said, "Well, look, the way I teach my students and teach folks is if I wouldn't say it to them when they walk off the lanes, why would I even think it or say it to myself in a in a low voice?" And it was just something I hadn't ever heard it put that way. And a lot of the mental game, it's so. I don't want to say it's common sense, but it kind of makes you, you think about it and you're like, huh, I never thought of it that way. That is kind of kind of right. Like if a teammate makes a bad shot, you're not going to say it. But still, you see people in league and it's one of the things. Is there anything that you can maybe say to someone listening right now who, who you know, they're, they're maybe past their college bowling, but they're a league bowler and you still see this. You have teams, they get so frustrated when a guy in their, that they're bowling against carries a, a Brooklyn strike or something and it's like get over that you can't that's out of your control you make a good shot and get up on the lane don't worry what that guy's up there doing yeah that's I mean and that's exactly right a lot of the times we let the uncontrollable variables control us uh, when we should be focusing on controlling the controllable variables so if we can't only focus on the controllables we're going to let the uncontrollables control us you know so it just it turns into a big mess when you start focusing on things that you have no control of. You know, why why am I going to think about something that I can't change when I can focus on the things that I can change and I do have control of? You know what I mean? It's just it's and it's so hard to do. And I understand where everybody comes from, because I've been that guy who I've sat there and I've watched somebody carry a Brooklyn against me in a match to beat me in a match. And I carry that with me until the next tournament. And then I'm remembering that Brooklyn to beat me. And then as soon as this guy Brooklyn's, even if it's early in the match, I'm already thinking that I'm out of the match because this guy Brooklyn already, and I'm thinking I'm going to lose just like I did last match. That's how I was for the longest time. And that's how I'm probably, I'm going to, I'm going to highball this. And I'm going to say 85% of bowlers are the same way. That's why you don't see so many elite bowlers nowadays. You don't see people dominate the way they could because the mental game is so hard to learn. It's so hard to understand to let go of those uncontrollable variables and only focus on the controllable variables. Man, that's some, you're right. You, you do have a, uh, definitely a passion for that. And it sounds like you've been able to really incorporate that. You said just win in the regional and incorporate some of that stuff into actually applying that on the lanes. But boy, it's, uh, it's sometimes easier said than done. You know, how many times you see you've been out there and it's like, you know, somebody has a, a good ball reaction and they're striking and then all of a sudden it kind of goes away. You know, you try option, yep. you know, two, three, four, doesn't work. And then how do you still stay engaged? You know, and that kind of sort of yep. relates to my, my next and what kind of will be my final question here for you. Um, the Open Championships, you know, if you uh, go out there to Las Vegas and, and watch some of the bowling that goes on in the team event or the uh, singles and doubles, you'll see a lot of change and transition. And yet it seems like you have to be able to adjust your speed and release and equipment and everything on the fly. Have you already bowled in Vegas? And if so, is that, is that something that you saw as well? Yeah, I, uh, we went out, uh, the first week of April. Um, okay. we didn't bowl very well. We didn't have much. I had 1850. I felt like I bowled a whole lot better than 1850. Um, and you're going to have those days. I mean, it's, I felt like I was mentally good. I felt like I stayed in it pretty solid. Um, and, and things just didn't go my way. And, and that's one of the things about the mental game too, is you got to realize that those days are going to happen that you can't expect just because you're mentally solid, that you're going to be successful every single time. Um, it's a practice. It's a study. You have to study, uh, the mental capabilities. You have to study your, your, um, visualization. Everything is a study and a constant research. It's not just a, I read a book and now all of a sudden I know how to do it. That's not how it works. Um, but yeah, out of USB-Cs, it does. It takes, 
it takes a lot of changes because you are bowling on two different patterns and you're bowling with a group and then you're bowling individually and then you're bowling with doubles pair, you know, so it's three different mindsets uh, going in there and mm. you're basically seeing three different patterns because you have the team pattern, you have the start of doubles and singles, and then you have the breakdown for singles. Um, so going into every single set, the single, and that's why you see the score is so much higher on the single set because you get three games you pretty much figure the lanes out and then you bowl your best set the second set because you know what's going on. You see the transition. The guys that are the most successful out there are the ones that can make those changes on the fly and they can, they, they just see it um, and they just do it. Now, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of variables that come into it, obviously with, you know, lane pair draw. Um, if you have a companion team, you know, helping you to break the lanes down, make sure you have the right ball in your hand. I mean, there's so many different things and that's why I tell people today, you know, the game's so much harder today than it was. And the only reason it's harder is because of all the technology that's came along and the research you have to do and the learning of bowling balls and the dynamics and the cover stocks and, and the changing of cover stocks and how the lanes are going to break down, the types of oils, the types of machines, you know, what machines are being used on which pairs. Are they stripping first? Are they oiling after? Are they doing both at the same time? I mean, there's just so many different things that can go into it um, that can determine whether you're successful or not successful. Um so that's why this game is just so difficult. And out at USBC, it's one of the hardest tournaments to win because all those variables come into play. Um, not saying they don't always all come into play in everything you bowl, but they're just so extreme out there because those patterns are so brutally hard. Um, so it takes it takes a team effort, whether you're in team event or singles and doubles, it's still a team effort all the way around. You've got to break them down no matter what. I feel like we did a pretty good job of that during team event. Uh, I just think we moved left a little too late. I think uh, we tried to break them down right around four, five, six, and we stayed at that seven, eight, nine mark to start. And we didn't actually move in until the middle of game two. We needed to move in near the end of game one because um, we shot eight seventy game one, which is horrendous. But then we got ourselves back to twenty nine seventy. Um, once we moved in, we were able to shoot ten fifty, ten fifty the next two which could have been a lot better. Our carry was bad. We actually overcliffed it. And what I mean is we just burned them up too much to the right and made all the oil in the middle look like a big hang, like an over, like an over wall. Like there's too much oil in the middle, none to the right. Uh, so we couldn't carry, but, uh, and it can happen. So anybody that's going out, I would probably suggest if you're going to stay right, only do it for like a half a game and then move in because the scores only get better. Once you move in, you just can't do it too quick. There's just, there is a strategy there. I just don't think it's as defined as it used to be. It used to be, you just get your guys to just beat up the outside and then you just gradually move in. Um, and it just doesn't something they're doing with the patterns. Just don't do it anymore. It doesn't work like that anymore, but we had a, we had a good time. It was fun. Um, wish we would have bowled better, but, we're getting ready for what is it? Syracuse? Is it Syracuse next year? Yes, Syracuse. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah Syracuse next year. Yeah, so we're getting ready for that. We'll be ready, hopefully, if I'm still bowling. <laughs> if this kid doesn't take me away from it. Yeah, so I got a kid doing like any day. <laughs> so I guess I want to end our time talking a little bit about some of your your um, you know what you do with turbo and the switch grips and everything of that and the the um, you know the finger inserts and etc. And when you're dealing with the younger the high school players that, that you're maybe doing your coaching and just the fitting and how, how often do you recommend if, if uh, we got parents and kids listening, how often do you, you recommend they get maybe refitted as they're still growing? And as, I mean, even as adults, frankly, I had myself, this happened to me 
where I went and was was refit and things are changing with my hand as I get older too. So how often do you recommend yeah. that when you're younger, kids constantly be doing this and then um and what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, when you're younger, I'd say in your prime years of the teen years, uh, anywhere from 12 years to probably 17 or 18 years old, you've probably got to get it looked at every six or seven months um, because kids' hands change so much and so drastically. And I mean, I, I watched a kid go from uh, it was like three and seven eighths inches to four and a half inches in less than two months. You know, and, and it just it if the the fit is the most important thing next to your mental game because your fit of a bowling ball actually goes hand in hand with your mental game. If your, if your bowling ball doesn't feel like it's going to come off your hand at the right time, every single time in the right way, every single time you have zero confidence and confidence is the most important thing of your mental game. So yeah, you need to check your fit all the time as you get older. I mean, at least once a year, I'm constantly fiddling with mine just because I know I'm getting to that ripe old age of arthritis and everything else. So <laughs> I have to, I've made a lot of changes myself in the last two years that I've been working here at Turbo, I've probably drilled a minimum of 50 different thumbs trying to find a different type of feel. And I finally did figure it out. Um, and I've had some success over the last few months. Now, will that stay that way? I don't know. I'm going to continue to look at it. I'm going to continue to try and make changes. And a month from now, I'll probably like a different thumb, you know, and that's just how it goes. And this game's too much of a comfort game. Everybody always wants to say that there's a there's a right and wrong way to drill a ball. And there's, I mean, there's definitely key points, but there is no, there, there's no textbook anymore. There is no, this is how you have to drill a ball. You know, like they used to say, there used to be a book of this was what your span should be. This is what your pitches should be. If your hands shaped this way. Yeah. I mean, there's still guidelines that kind of go by, but it's just not that way anymore. It's all about comfort and you being able to repeat a shot. You know, and it's the same thing with coaching when you're coaching somebody just because, you know, you don't want them to have cookie cutters. You know, you don't want a cookie cutter, uh, you know, your students. You don't want everybody to do the same thing because not everybody is the same type of player. I'm that coach that prides myself in to be able to take what that student has and I can make them the best at what they do because that's what I did to myself. Um, that was one of the biggest tips I got back in the day was, you know, why are you trying to fix all these little minor tweak things and just do what you do and be the best at it? Well, sometimes those little tweaks can hurt you a little bit more than they help you. Sure. There's key, just like coaching. I mean, there is key spots you want to be in uh, your hand position at the bottom, you know, different spots throughout your footwork. But um, I wouldn't say that a certain bowler has to throw it a certain way or look a certain way to be successful. You know what I'm saying? It's just something that, you know, good coaches are able to get points across and get them to do what they need to do without making them uncomfortable. I, I just say com comfortability is the most important thing when it comes to coaching and your fit and all that stuff. Well, hey, J.R. Rabin, it's been great catching up with you again. If you want to check everything out that we've been talking about, check out the Collegiate Expo. Just go to TurboGrips.com on the website there. There's all the information. The toll-free number is right there at the top, so you can find that out as well and give them a call because it sounds like, like J.R. said, this thing is going to fill up. It's just a matter of when, so get get your number. You know, Call them and get that taken care of at ASAP. And, J.R., it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, we'll talk again soon. I appreciate you letting me blab my mouth off. I appreciate it.